When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Age of Radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. History Lessons, I'm Michael, and this is going to be a little bit of a quick addendum to the story of Lewis Jordan. It's kind of beyond Texas history, but still adjacent to it subject-wise. You know, at the beginning of the year and first episode, I said I was going to be trying to branch out a little bit and mix things up a little bit, keep things interesting. It's not that you can't do an entire podcast for forever on the history of Texas, but sometimes there are subjects and topics that sometimes jump out and I kind of want to learn about it and share it. And so I'm not going to hold myself to Texas specific as the last episode showed. It was was a lot about world war one and not so much about Texas, even though the person that it was about was of course, UT football star and uh, Fredericksburg son that gave his life in the trenches of world war one, Lewis Jordan. I enjoyed learning about him and his times. And it made me even more interested in learning more. And the more I dug into it and believe me, I dug into it a lot. Um, I'll be sharing some of the things I, I looked into to learn about the subject matter, to try to get it right. And believe me, I know I'm pretty sure I missed a little bit, probably, and any mistake is my own. Um, but the, the, I know for a fact the biggest errors in the last episode were the French place name. So apologize for that. But hey, I'm not French, and I I did take French for a semester and then one summer, but I didn't retain much. And uh, so yeah, there you go. But like I was saying, I'm 
got a little thing I found really interesting. I dug into a lot. I looked at a lot of different resources, and I found this really interesting piece of work. Um, so the Great War, the war to end all wars, is still an enigma to me after all of this study. And it still seems extremely relevant to the enigma of the modern day. And with that being said, I wanted to share something, like I said, a little bit beyond the history of Texas that came as quite a surprise to me when I found it. So let's get on with it. Samuel Langhorn Clemens, born in Missouri in 1835, was one of the United States' greatest writers, observers, commentators, lecturers, humorists, and pessimists. We remember him today by his pen name. I'm sure some of you already know Mark Twain, author of Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, and many other great books. He was a man filled with stories, and he had ideas that burned in him, that consumed him, and he just wanted to get onto paper. He famously wrote, or maybe it wasn't so famously, but I've heard it before, so hopefully some of you have. He famously wrote in 1989 a letter to William Dean Howells in which he said, Well, my book is written. Let it go. But if it were only to write over again, there wouldn't be so many things left out. They burn in me, and they keep multiplying. But now they can't ever be said. And besides, they would require a library and a pen warmed up in hell. Quite a quote. It seems that the pessimist did not adhere to his own caution, though, and didn't seem that he could not keep these things contained and that they would not ever be said because he kept writing for many years to come. One piece of writing that indeed seems to have been by a pen warmed up in hell is the short story or sometimes classified as a prose poem that he composed about March 1905, and the name of it is The War Prayer. Twain, and I'll call him Twain here because that is the name that is most deeply etched into our collective memory, had been supportive of the Spanish-American War when it began in 1898. The war itself and the American imperialism that came into being because of it forced Twain to reconsider his opinion. People are allowed to do that, to change their minds, to reflect, if you didn't know already. Abraham Lincoln, Malcolm X, some other people come to mind. They do change courses in life. We, if we adhere to the principle of reflection, learning, and observation, are allowed to adapt. And this story was the result of such contemplation and adaptation. Harper's Bazaar rejected it as being too radical, and the story went unpublished for several years, largely due to the threat it might do to his reputation. His family and friends did not want it published because his family depended on the publication of his words, and for him to be cast as sacrilegious, a fanatic, a lunatic, or anti-patriotic might damage their welfare. Mark Twain, Mr. Clemens, died on April the 21st, 1910, at the age of 74, just a few years before the fuse was lit 
and the powder keg that was Europe exploded into the First World War that we covered a little bit in the last two episodes. The horror and the devastation experienced in that conflict made Twain seem less of a radical lunatic or sacrilegious fanatic. In fact, that nightmare war gave him the look of a prophet. So the unpublishable piece was finally published by Harper's Monthly in November 1916. The United States, having attempted to be neutral, would be drawn into the Great War a few months later after the publication, and Americans and Texans like Louis Jordan would do their duty and try to help end the war while experiencing firsthand the things Twain discusses in The War Prayer. So, with that in mind, I present Mark Twain's The War Prayer. Be awaiting water at the arriving clutch. Using the kind of language that makes the sergeant blush. Oh, who wouldn't join the army? That's what we all inquire. Don't we picture the poor civilian sitting around the fire? Oh, 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 it's a lovely war. Oh, lovely oh, war. Oh, be a soldier, eh? Oh, it's a shame to take the pain. As soon as rebellion has gone, we feel just as heavy as lead. But we never get up to the sergeant brings a breakfast. It was a time of great and exalting excitement. The country was up in arms. The war was on. In every breast burned the holy fire of patriotism. The drums were beating, the bands playing, the toy pistols popping. The bunch firecrackers hissing and spluttering on every hand and far down the receding and fading spread of roofs and balconies. A fluttering wilderness of flags flashed in the sun. Daily, the young volunteers marched down the wide avenue, gay and fine in their new uniforms. The proud fathers and mothers and sisters and sweethearts cheering them with voices choked with happy emotion as they swung by. Nightly, the packed mass meetings listened, panting to patriot oratory, which stirred the deepest deeps of their hearts, and which they interpreted at briefest intervals with cyclones of applause, the tears running down their cheeks the while. In the churches, pastors preached devotion to flag and country, and invoked the God of battles, beseeching his aid in our good cause, in outpourings of fervid eloquence, which moved every listener. It was indeed a glad and gracious time, and the half-dozen rash spirits that ventured to disapprove of the war and cast a doubt upon its righteousness straightaway got such a stern and angry warning that for their personal safety's sake, they quickly shrank out of sight and offended no more in that way. Sunday morning came. Next day, the battalions would leave for the front. The church was filled. The volunteers were there, their young faces alight with martial dreams, visions of the stern advance, the gathering momentum, the rushing charge, the flashing sabers, the flight of the foe, the tumult, the enveloping smoke, the fierce pursuit, the surrender, then home from the war, bronzed heroes, welcomed, adored, submerged in golden seas of glory. With the volunteers sat their dear ones, proud, happy, and envied by the neighbors and friends who had no sons and brothers to send forth to the field of honor, there to win for the flag or failing die the noblest of noble deaths. 
the service proceeded. A war chapter from the Old Testament was read. The first prayer was said. It was followed by an organ burst that shook the building. And with one impulse, the house rose with glowing eyes and beating hearts and poured out that tremendous invocation. God, the all-terrible, thou who ordainest, thunder thy clarion and lightning thy sword. Then came the long prayer. Dunn could remember the like of it for passionate pleading and moving and beautiful language. The burden of its supplication was that an ever-merciful and benignant father of us all would watch over our noble young soldiers and aid, comfort, and encourage them in their patriotic work, bless them, shield them in the day of battle and the hour of peril, bear them in his mighty hand, make them strong and confident, invincible in the bloody onset, help them to crush the foe, grant to them and to their flag and country imperishable honor and glory. An aged stranger entered and moved with slow and noiseless step up the main aisle, his eyes fixed upon the minister, his long body clothed in a robe that reached to his feet, his head bare, his white hair descending in a frothy cataract to his shoulders, his seamy face unnaturally pale, pale even to ghastliness, with all eyes following him and wandering, he made his silent way. Without pausing, he ascended to the preacher's side and stood there waiting. With shut lids, the preacher, unconscious of his presence, continued with his moving prayer, and at last finished it with the words uttered in fervent appeal, Bless our arms, grant us the victory, O Lord our God, Father and Protector of our land and flag. The stranger touched his arm motioned him to step aside, which the startled minister did, and took his place. During some moments he surveyed the spellbound audience with solemn eyes, in which burned an uncanny light. Then, in a deep voice, he said, I come from the throne, bearing a message from Almighty God. The word smote the house with a shock. If the stranger perceived it, he gave no attention. He has heard the prayer of his servant, your shepherd, and will grant it if such shall be your desire after I, his messenger, shall have explained to you its import. That is to say, its full import, for it is like unto many of the prayers of men, in that it asks for more than he who utters it is aware of, except he pause and think. God's servant and yours has prayed his prayer. Has he paused and taken thought? Is it one prayer? No, it is two. One uttered, the other not. Both have reached the ear of him who heareth all supplications, the spoken and the unspoken. Ponder this. Keep it in mind. If you would beseech a blessing upon yourself, beware lest without intent you invoke a curse upon a neighbor at the same time. If you pray for the blessing of rain upon your crop which needs it, by that act you are possibly praying for a curse upon some neighbor's crop which may not need rain and can be injured by it. You have heard your servant's prayer, the uttered part of it. 
I am commissioned of God to put into words the other part of it, that part which the pastor, and also you and your hearts, fervently prayed silently, and ignorantly, and unthinkingly? God grant that it was so. You heard these words. Grant us the victory, O Lord our God. That is sufficient. The whole of the uttered prayer is compact into those pregnant words. Elaborations were not necessary. When you have prayed for victory, you have prayed for many unmentioned results which follow victory. Must follow it. Cannot help but follow it. Upon the listening spirit of God fell also the unspoken part of the prayer. He commandeth me to put it into words. Listen. O Lord, our Father, our young patriots, idols of our hearts, go forth to battle. Be thou near them, with them, in spirit. We also go forth from the sweet peace of our beloved firesides to smite the foe. O Lord our God, help us to tear their soldiers to bloody shreds with our shells. Help us to cover their smiling fields with the pale forms of their patriot dead. Help us to drown the thunder of the guns with the shrieks of their wounded writhing in pain. Help us to lay waste their humble homes with a hurricane of fire. Help us to wring the hearts of their unoffending widows with unavailing grief. Help us to turn them out Roofless with little children to wander unfriended the wastes of their desolated land in rags and hunger and thirst, sports of the sun flames of summer and the icy winds of winter, broken in spirit, worn with travail, imploring thee for the refuge of the grave and denied it. For our sakes, who adore thee, Lord, blast their hopes, blot their lives, protract their bitter pilgrimage, make heavy their steps, water their way with their tears, stain the white snow with the blood of their wounded feet. We ask it, and the spirit of love, of whom who is the source of love, and who is the ever faithful refuge and friend of all that are sore beset and seek his aid with humble and contrite hearts. Amen. Ye have prayed it, if ye still desire it, speak. The messenger of the Most High waits. It was believed afterward that the man was a lunatic, because there was no sense in what he said. The End And there you go, Mark Twain's The War Prayer. And the audio at the end is some reconstructed recordings of 
the sound of the end of the First World War on November 11th, 1918. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mark Twain was one of the first writers I read as a child that helped cultivate a great love for the written word. And another was Robert Louis Stevenson. And from there, the list could go on and on. And definitely to current writers of today that keep that fire of love for the written word burning in me even now. So thanks for listening to this little piece by a great writer of the American experience. And I just wanted to share it because it ties in really to a lot of the reactions to the experiences of the soldiers that actually fought in the war, the great war. And it was written before the great war even started. It should be no surprise as why his family did not want that published at the time. But then after the war had started and the true story and reality of what was going on in Europe passed across the Atlantic to our nation, it became more acceptable because people realized what was going on and it was truly a hell on earth. So there you go. If you're interested in learning more about the First World War, here are some recommendations that I have. The Guns of August by Barbara W. Tuckman. Goodbye to All That, an autobiography by Robert Graves. All Quiet on the Western Front by Eric Maria Remark. There are at least three movie adaptations of that book, one just coming out recently. The First World War by John Keegan, one of the great military historians of the last few decades, The Price of Glory, Verdun, 1916, by Alastair Horn, The First World War by Hugh Strachan, The Great War in Modern Memory by Paul Fussell, World War I in America, Told by the Americans Who Lived It, edited by A. Scott Berg, I quoted him in the last episode, 11th Month, 11th Day, 11th Hour, Armistice Day, 1918, World War One, and its Violent Climax, that is quite a long title for you, that book is by John E. Persico. And this list is far from complete, but there you are with some good starting points. There is no lack of literature on the subject, but those are some of the ones I know that are some of the better ones if you're interested. For those of you who are interested more in Texas experiences in World War One, you should look for a couple of books, Texas and World War One by Gregory W. Ball and Texas and Texans in the Great War by Ralph A. Wooster. Thanks for listening to Texas History Lessons. I want to thank Derek McLennan for the theme music. Check his music out everywhere you find good music. And we're going to introduce a new spotlight artist this week. This is a little bit different than some of the music I usually play. There's a wide variety and I'm trying to find people that would let me share their music and need to be heard. And this is Fifth Floor Homicide. Don't know a lot about this gentleman, but it seems fitting for the subject matter of this episode. So be sure to check him out wherever you listen to music. 
if he sounds intriguing to you. I want to thank him for letting me share this song. I had trouble figuring out or making a decision on which song to play from Fifth Four Homicide. So I decided to play two. Rose-colored glasses and no safety. So we're going to end with that. I will say that at the end of the month that this is being released, or the beginning of the next month, Fifth War Homicide has a new album coming out. So if you enjoy this, be sure to check him out on streaming services wherever you listen to music. I will add, though, that like this episode, the subject matter is a little bit darker, a little bit heavier, and definitely not safe for work or for children if you prefer them to not hear certain words. But if it doesn't bother you, here we go. This is the end of the episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much. And take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Be kind. Adios. I have been so, I have been so, I have been so fucking tired of all this fucking trying. Always feels like I'm dying. Death keeps creeping while I'm crying. What's the point to all this writing? They said that my shit is worth dying, but I really think they're lying. Faded memories inside this home. Why do I always feel alone? I've been mixing chemicals, Xanax with the alcohol. I've been pouring poison in my own skull. I swear I felt like I did wrong. This just might be my final song. Please don't miss me when I'm gone. Don't see the world through rose colored glasses. Thinking all about the past. It's got me glued to this mattress. Getting rest, but shit, you can have it. Take my life from me, agonizing so and painfully Man, it feels like I can't breathe Get the fuck away from me Can't you see what the fuck I see? I've been torn apart mentally Precise, be open, burning green Go ahead and leave a piece for me A melody, a beautiful song That I can sing, a symphony, my memory Rainy days outside my window I just wanna go where the wind goes screaming Inside of my pillow This pain is too hard to swallow
can't see sight bloody Now there ain't no safety Finally completely Now there ain't no safety Keep the KO is on me Now there ain't no safety There's no way you'll be safe Now there ain't no safety Seems like it's everyday It's always the same thing Anxiety Smoke some weed Pop the take the pain away Pop the cap on this goal Just so I can fucking feel something Swallow in your soul Suck right through your skull So far boy don't know What you got coming to him I know it's sink or swim I know it's me or him I know I'll never bend Oh, 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 oh,